On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Oh, extremely proud. Uh, they've worked really hard, obviously, leading into the Ashes. Our plans work perfectly, so really proud of what they've achieved. Led well by, the, obviously, the skipper and uh, the whole batting group standing up at different times. And when we're in trouble, we, we got out of trouble, which is something we haven't done in various games in the past. So really pleased for everyone. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel a.k.a. Menas, and that was Darren Lehman speaking after Australia's victory in the SCG test. And joining me to look back on the ashes and look forward and digest all the cricket news, I've got Steve Wilson from the Digital Sports Department at News Corp. How are you, Steve? I'm very well, Manners, uh, despite uh, a chasing experience, even though it was relatively predictable. But, yeah, uh, move on to the one-day stuff where England are actually a bit better. <laughs> And the other panellist is one of Australia's most controversial journalists today, James <laughs> McSmith. How are you, Macca? Very well, thank you, man. How are you? And I'm a bit upset you haven't rubbed it in a bit more with Steve, but looking forward to talking about my story a bit later. Well, we've got plenty of time to rub it into Steve. Don't worry. <laughs> and we've got lots to get through. Uh, in this show, I'm going to bring up my highlights from the SCG test. We've got our weekly Steve Smith tribute. Then we've got all the big cricket headlines, including what was really one of the most exciting afternoons I've ever had yesterday when I was at the SCG talking to the MCC World Cricket Committee. It was true cricket tragic heaven, so I'm going to take you inside that experience. And then we're going to wrap it all up with the roundup of the Big Bash. So let's start things off with uh, looking back at the SCG test. Australia won by an innings and 123 runs. They won the Ashes 4-0, convincing victory. And I had three moments that stood out for me. I'll start with the first one. Usman Khawaja bringing up his century was one of the most moving moments I've seen on the cricket field for a while. It caught me a bit by surprise. I don't know what you guys think, but Usman Khawaja is such a likeable character. And to, he sort of came in with faint question marks. And to see him so to answer so convincingly and, and really stand up. It was just a great moment. I actually got a bit teary, which is very rare. No, I completely uh, uh, back up that thought. I think he's a, a wonderful player. I, uh, you know, Everyone knows how good he is to watch when he's in his pomp. And I think it is you know, very unfair, the level of criticism he gets when it doesn't sort of click for him. I think he's a, an easy target sometimes. So to see him you know, hit back at those critics as it was building was, it was a really nice thing to see. And just when he sort of looked up to his mother, who was wearing the pink hijab, mm. and I don't know, just... I just like Kawaja's honesty, Macro. I mean, you must appreciate it. You know, you've asked cricketers so many questions and they just give you these stock standard answers. Kawaja is so heartfelt now. He's so relaxed. He's refreshing. Yeah, man, is that so? I was going to say, he's real refreshing. He brings a refreshing sort of wind to cricket and to sports in this country, doesn't he? I, I just hope that the selectors now treat him with the respect that he deserves because after, you know, he's got all those runs a summer or two ago and then was... You know, really treated with disdain, dropped over when he shouldn't have been dropped. So hopefully he's really nailed down that number three spot now. Well, that's my question then. I'll start with you, Macca. After that day, Smith was asked in the press conference, you know, should Kawaja be given a go now in all conditions? And I think even, um, you know, Shane Warne even said to Smith, look, I think you should start playing Kawaja on the subcontinent. But even then, Smith was evasive. So I wonder if anything's going to change. I mean, what do you guys think? Is it time to give Kawaja time to find his feet in foreign conditions? I mean, as I'm really surprised about this, I mean, Smith goes into bat for Bancroft, who's had a really, really underwhelming series after being a pretty controversial selection, and he doesn't do the same, same for Kawaja, who's had such a great series. So I, I don't – sometimes I just really can't understand the noises coming out of – I have, I have a little bit of sympathy or, or my understanding when I hear Smith talking like that is because I don't think they are going to take him to the subcontinent. I think they've made that decision already. And Smith 
it's not that he wasn't backing him. It's just he doesn't want to say, oh, yeah, yeah, he's in the team now for good. And then, right, uh, you know, have more questions asked when he does drop him. It is harsh on him. He'll obviously go to South Africa or do well in South Africa, mm. you would imagine. The next time they go to the subcontinent, I don't think they'll play him. I'm not entirely against that principle horses for courses you know you pick the team that you think will win that test you know that day whatever it is um but yeah i think that's just smith uh, protecting himself from being leveled a hypocrite when he says oh yeah we're backing him all the way and then they don't take him yeah, i also think it just shows that i think some of this selection is coming from smith's input uh, so that was my one of the highlights uh Kawaja bringing up that century the next one was a comical highlight. It was when Mitch and Sean Marsh stopped running in the middle of a test match to, to Mitch Marsh bringing up his century. Uh, the ball didn't go to the boundary. I think Sean apparently didn't even look at the ball. So he didn't care where the ball was. He just wanted to hug his little brother. And I, I guess seeing that, I guess, bit of humanity come out on the cricket field where, you know, Sean Marsh is just a proud older brother that he really didn't matter to him what was going on. He just wanted to hug his little brother. I mean, that to me was such a great moment in the test match. And, you know, aside from that, they both scored centuries and two each for the series was very surprising. I mean, that, that moment, it was touching and it was beautiful and it, there's always room for that in sport. You know, that's that's where it's charged with emotion. But my favourite aspect of that was Steve Smith's uh, reaction up in the, <laughs> up in the up on the balcony when everyone was cheering and celebrating. And then when they realised what was happening, that he, they might actually have fouled it up with this sort of coming together. Everybody else, like every other person on that balcony, continues cheering and smiling, but Smith's face just drops as he starts screaming at them to get back get back get back few choice words as well not not safe yeah, for work if you're a lip reader but what I, what I thought about it was uh, it was funny in itself but the main thing was it just showed this kind of ultra professionalism that Smith just operates on a different plane to everyone else that his, his head is in the game at every single moment including that at the end of a five match series where he's battered for whatever 40 hours or whatever it was and he was still you know keen to the moment and I just thought that was wonderful yeah I think that, that's a good point Stead. he's just yeah he's just got that mindset that's a, a Above and beyond everybody else, but I mean, I've got, I've got a brother, and it's such a you know moment that I could really relate. He to. never scored a test century. Though. <laughs> <laughs> might even be listening. But uh, but I, I guess mate, the thing I want to point out is that probably hasn't been brought up. If they had collided mid pitch and Mitchell Marsh had been run out for argument's sake, it wouldn't have mattered a brass razoo because he would have still scored his hundred because they'd already got that one run and he was out the next ball anyway. So yeah, I agree. But any of the other moments stand out for you from the test match? I, mean, I want to bring up a quick moment that's really highlighted um, the Asher series for me is the way that Steve's accent has gradually graded away. It was rather English at the start of the series and it's now become rather rocker. Steve? I've, I've been out smoking with the, the Aussie team and my, that's a bit of a gravel at the back of my throat that's there just got go. sore. That's what it is. And the last highlight for me from the Sydney test was Mason Crane. Just seeing him come in and make his test debut. I just love seeing leg spinners at the highest level. He's got a lot of talent. I mean, he's very raw. He's not the finished product yet. But for world cricket, when you see a leg spinner who can turn the ball, who's got some bravado, and at the press conference after the second day, I think it was, he actually showed that he had some personality, had a sense of humour. You know, he was willing to make jokes about his own batting. So maybe England have found their answer to warning. It's it's a big maybe, um, but... People drawing those natural comparisons in terms of, you know, a 20-year-old leggy coming into a test arena, they don't prosper immediately. That's just the history of them. It takes some time to learn their craft. And he's obviously got a bit of talent there. But I think the, the element you mentioned there about his, his mental state and the, his willingness to have a go at it. And when the, the you know the Aussie fans were booing him because he wasn't letting go of the ball, he didn't care. If you, if you look at pretty much every delivery he sent down after one where he'd stopped mid-delivery, it, he landed that on the spot. So he was right to do it. And, uh, yeah, there's possibilities there, but a uh, long way to go until he's England's shame. <laughs> Man, the, the concern I have here is, you know, England obviously don't have a, at least a recent history of great leg spin bowls, and I'm not so sure that Joe Root knows how to handle him. I can't understand why Mason Crane bowled with a new ball in Sydney. That's I just, true. I just, uh, Australian I never do it. cooked by them. But, mate, but you, why don't you, don't, you give Stuart Broad an over or two, don't you? Mm. You know, he could, he can come up with a jaffer and dislodge someone. I just, and you know, Warney was on the TV talking about how hard it is to hold the, you know, the fresh rock. Maybe after five or six or seven overs, it, it comes a bit stu- scuffed up. And Mason Crane bowled some, you know, a ridiculous amount of full tosses. Yeah. With the, with the new ball. So I think that's something that he, Joe Root will probably have to work on. 
Yeah, I think the great thing about Crane in this game was that he really couldn't lose. If he took five for 100, everyone would be patting him on the back. But if he you know, took one for 180, everyone would say, well, that's what Shane Warne started mm, yeah. with. So it was a good match to blood, it, blood him in. So that's my three highlights from the Sydney Test. Uh, great victory for Australia. Kind of was sort of had a, a with the heat as well on the last two days. The game had a, a, a sort of attritional nature. It just felt like hard work for everyone. And maybe that's like the whole series. There was some talk that it was a, a dull series. Does it? Do you think that it didn't live up to the hype? Did England disappoint so much that? You know, wasn't competitive because of England. I think there's, there's two elements to that. One, uh, Asher series nowadays will almost never live up to the hype because the hype machine is just so uh, enormous and in such full effect that it, it would have to be, you know, an utterly incredible series to match that. But in terms of the sort of general thing, I think it... It it didn't really ever explode into life, did it? There wasn't sort of big narratives. All the sort of stories, early doors were off field uh, kind of things. And partly, I think it was down to England's approach. I think England landed here knowing they weren't quite equal to Australia and tried to formulate a plan. That plan was largely to just dry up the runs, to slow things down, to stop Australia playing their natural game and scoring at four, five and over and get it down to three and see if they made mistakes. And it was working to a degree. I mean, you look at Warner's series, you know, he had a decent series, but a home series for Warner is normally a lot bigger and brasher than that. So it kind of worked in that respect, but it didn't work enough. And Australia were cute enough, Smith in particular, but at different points with different allies, just to sort of bat through it and play proper test match batting and pick the runs when they could and win the games. I think when... Lehman started the show, he mentioned a couple of things about this. Firstly, that it was a concerted effort by the Australian batsmen to tire out Broad and Anderson. And we saw that the run rates were down for the Australian side because they knew that if they could just blunt Broad and Anderson, there, there wasn't much to come. So that plan worked. As far as a dull series, I think that you know, you get so used to the flash and bang of cricket nowadays. A lot of teams just go out there and if they, they can't win, they just try and hit their way out of trouble. We actually saw two sides that were pretty much prepared to try and not give an inch. You know, England obviously didn't do it as well as Australia, but they both really got into the contest. We didn't see like four years ago, you know, the English side getting bowled out for 100 in a session or anything like that. So I think that plays into the dullness because it didn't happen quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And he didn't, I mean, if you look back to, you know, the last time uh, the Ashes were on these shores, you know, it was a much more one-sided affair and, and lacked the competitive sort of competition in that regard. But then you had Mitchell Johnson being Mitchell oh, Johnson. It just, there Brisbane were moments. And Adelaide that, yeah. afternoons when yeah. he tore in. Exactly. And, and you can like, summon up those. Well, man, I think there are t- probably two elements here that, you know, that it's sum up modern sport for a lot of the series. One is that I think it's some in these massive contests, often teams can be more, and I think, you know, maybe Steve alluded to it a little bit, that teams can be more scared of losing than they are attracted to by winning. And that, you know, that's perhaps by way that both the sides played. And also the other one, you know, you mentioned the off field. There's so much off stuff that happens off the field and a lot, you know, these days, we through not through rugby league and AFL. You know what happens away from the field is as interesting for the fans as what happens on the field. For me, I don't think it was a dull series at all. I, you know, the two days that I managed to get out to Adelaide Test are some of the most enjoyable days I've ever had watching cricket. And I think one thing though is it, the 2005 Ashes is the high water mark, and I think we all look to that now to say that's the that's that's the mark for a fantastic modern Ashes series, and that's what we look for. And we're not going to get that all the time, are we? No, but it just felt when Australia went 2-0 up at Adelaide that, oh, OK, you know, England can't come back from here. Well, that was it, yeah. So Adelaide was the, it was the best uh, match. It was the closest match. It was the one with the most sort of tension and drama. And it was the one that England was supposed to have a chance of winning. Had they won it, then, yeah, things might have been different through the rest of the series. I mean, it was one of the few pitches, maybe that one in the whacker, where the actual pitch was helpful or conducive towards exciting cricket or quick cricket, cricket or you know, even Swing. between bat and ball, yeah, because the, you know, the Brisbane pitch was caught everyone by surprise. Melbourne was obviously poor officially, uh, and the SCG one even didn't really give a lot when we got to days three, four, and five as as it normally would. So that sort of added to it a little bit. But uh, the Steve Smith factor was a huge part as well. If he can just drop anchor and bat like that, then it just kills the game. And well, you know, perfect segue, Steve, because this is our weekly Steve Smith tribute section. And um, so he finished the series with 687 runs at the Bradman-like average 
of 137.4. Now, I remember so clearly when I was a kid when Steve Waugh came back from the 1989 Ashes and his average was 126 for that series, that it was compared to Bradman's and everyone talked about how, you know, second best average since Bradman. Well, Steve Smith was barely two runs short of Bradman's average of 139.14 in the, I think, 1930 Ashes. So, I mean, Steve Smith's figures were phenomenal. But this is what I think stands out for me. In the MCG test and the Sydney test, he was out for 76 and 83. The potential there was to score a lot more runs. And, you know, you talked about uh, Steve Smith riding that run out between Sean and Mitch Marsh. I think we are seeing sometimes the effect of fatigue as this series went on. Not just the fact that he's batting so long, but the mental strain of being the captain. You know, MCG and Sydney test dismissals were slightly soft the ball especially the sydney dismissal yeah. he, well, got, he got himself out he got yeah. himself yeah. out now yeah. you know say he wasn't captain and he didn't have that extra burden you know he might have scored 800 plus runs and it sort of begs the question you know is he too intense to be captain for a long time yeah, I don't know. It is a good question to see how long you are. I think, I think that people are very excited to see uh, how that unfolds and nobody can put their finger on whether it's going to be you know, the making of him and he's going to get better and better if that's possible. But um, are we or, risking burning him out? That's my yeah. question, Steve. But, but I think who else could be captain? It's obvious David that, Warner. That, no, it's obvious that the players look up to Steve Smith. I think they look as up a, to as Warner As a player as well. and as yeah. a figurehead. Oh, and, he, and he thrives on that as well. I mean, yeah. he is an intense man, isn't he? And he's sort of an obsessive with it all. So, could you honestly see Warner Captain Menace? Yes, I could. Why? Because I'm not saying I'm I'm necessarily against it. I'm just wondering why. Well, I don't know about his on-field tactics, but when he has been captain of T20 size, he's actually shown a fair bit of tactical nous. I think Warner has a few qualities about him that would make him a good leader. He's got that bulldog spirit. He doesn't care what people think. I think. And this is not a knock on him, but he's probably not as intense as Steve Smith in some way. So he'll be better able to sort of let players play their own game. Look, I'm not trying to campaign against Steve Smith because I love him. But I just think, uh, love's a strong word, that uh, <laughs> you know, if he burns so bright, you know, eventually it might fade out because we've just put too much on it. But, but we're already too far down that road, aren't we, man? It's because yeah. un- unlike England or even India, Australian captains, they retire. They don't relinquish the captaincy and play on. So I can't really imagine a situation when David Warner would be captain and Steve Smith would be in the side. No, I think the casualty will be not the test format, but we'll see Smith, he's playing less and less yeah. T20. That, 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 will, that, will, that, yeah. will, that will inevitably happen, that he'll, he'll drop away from there and to preserve his test status. But the other thing is, Yes, we're talking about him. Oh, he could burn himself out. The pressure's on him. So far, he's shown absolutely no sign of any of that whatsoever. Each, you know, captaincy has improved him. He's, he's, he's contributed more with the bat since he's become captain. And he is a freak. He's just an incredible player. So, you know, we, people comparing him to Bradman all through the series, you know, he can go on and why not get better? Why not become a better captain and a better batsman? I mean, it's, it seems incredible, but, you know, we could be watching the greatest player ever, you know, over the next five, ten years. I hope so, and I hope he can keep it up. Now, I just want to just update the records and just prove again that Australia are better at cricket than England. (laughs) Australia have won 24 Ashes series at home. They've lost just 14, so no wonder the Poms hate coming here. And when we go to England... England have won 18 at home, but they've lost 15 to us. So the margin of when we go to England is a lot smaller than when England comes here. So, yeah. That's historical. I mean, over the last sort of 15, uh, you know, in this century, it's been very, very evenly split between home, you know, the home team wins sort of thing. And that's what's interesting about the team that Australia have got at the moment. There are obviously flaws and cracks here and there, but the nucleus of it is incredibly exciting. The pace attack, they're all young. Smith's still got more to go. So the next Ashes series in England should be an awful lot closer. And maybe that home advantage will be sort of narrowed for England mm. and we could get some. Uh, look, I agree with that, especially on the bowling. My concern, though, and this is also with the South African, African tour is that Australia have continued to pick hard wicket players. So batsmen that are are good with the ball coming on, not moving too much. Both Marsh brothers are hard wicket players. Bancroft is a hard wicket player. That's a concern going to England and going to South Africa. The ball's not going to be coming on as much. It's going to be moving. It's going to be swinging. 
is this batting lineup any better equipped to deal with the swinging ball and the moving ball than the same batting the batting lineup that was dismissed for sixty at Trentbridge? Two years ago, we're going to find out. Three years soon. ago, we will, man. Is that, but who, who, who comes in? Who can you sort of throw up as you know? Well, I don't want to get into names um, and like, uh, like I just worry that you know Sean and Mitch Marsh are both hard wicket players, and Bancroft is as well. Warner's a hard wicket player, but more adaptable. Should do better in other conditions. Do we think Bancroft's going to go to South Africa? I no, mean, I, don't yeah, 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 no. I don't think he will. I don't think he will. Well, then that just... Why did you pick him? Well, it's that's, that's this is where you get yourself caught in knots, isn't it? That Renshaw, the Renshaw sacking wasn't really justified. I, it, well, it wasn't justified. And so then, unless Bancroft shoots the lights out, then you're stuck in a situation. I think we can even go as far back, perhaps, to, well... Burns? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah well, that was my column last week at Daily Telegraph au slash cricket, I sort of spoke about the revolving door policy of the selectors and that they're not really building a side. But look, that's all fine. Let's do a bit more pommy bashing because Steve's here. <laughs> um, I don't think we should let some of my biggest pommy flops get away without a real bagging. So I've got three. I'll start with Joe Root. I had real high hopes for Joe Root as a captain when he came over here. I thought he had more steel in him. I thought he had more, I don't know, just outward aggression. I thought he was going to fight fire with fire. I thought he wasn't going to sort of end the series sort of fading out, which is what he did. He seemed to get worn down by the series. And he didn't show the qualities I expected of him. And I guess can try and find reasons for that. But it was he disappointed me. And obviously five half centuries and no centuries is a strike against him. Man, I think we kind of touched on this before. And the way the Sydney test was kind of a, a euphemism for the whole series or for how England coped with Australia, wasn't it? They were just, I don't know about downtrodden, but they were just beaten down, beaten down, beaten down. And that ridiculously hot day where they just spent all day in the field and then Root gets dehydrated or he gets the gastro, gastro or whatever. Yeah. It's just... It, 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 that's sort of the narrative. That's the fitting end to the series, wasn't it? And I think that I just, yeah, I think for for mine, Joe, and mate, Root, maybe because he is a bit fresh face. Obviously, there's all those jokes about that he looks like Ellen DeGeneres, but I, and maybe Aren't that goes cousins? against. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, I was disappointed in him, his batting and his captaincy. I did, I did tend to go with Ponting's, you know, disser, dissertation that he. Acted like a boy at times. What did you? Have I, you said, I, I so? don't buy into that. I, 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 that was probably talking about one particular press conference, and I, I don't think that was true. I think his problem was he's a very young captain. He's very new to it, and he just got caught out by the the pressures and the tensions of an Ashes tour of an Ashes series when it's not going well for you. And it was a hell of a learning experience for him. How he tried to cope with it when it, you know, it went wrong in uh, Brisbane, and then the off-field stuff sort of started happening, which he couldn't really you know, manage. I think when you saw what he did in Adelaide when he won the toss and uh, decided to bowl, that was him trying to exert himself as a, a proactive front foot captain. You know, I'm going to change the narrative. I'm going to change momentum here. And he, he almost tried too hard and tried to be too clever with some of the fields and just got a bit befuddled well, by it's it. It's funny you say that because at the beginning of the series, I might have said on a podcast, don't worry, Joe Root's not going to do a NASA Hussein and send the Aussies <laughs> in on a belter. And he did it in the second test. So proves how wrong. Wrong I was. Right, two other flops. Stuart Broad. I mean, 11 wickets at 48. That is a joke. Uh, you can take eight for 15 on a green top, but you did F all here. Uh, he showed no pace. He didn't run in and bowl hard. You know, if I was Jimmy Anderson, I would be really annoyed that my fast bowling counterpart did not produce more. And he can give all the excuses he wants. I'm sorry. Figures don't lie. He just did not step up. I feel sorry for Jimmy Anderson full stop from this series. I mean, apart from the obvious three or four uh, leading lights in Australia, I thought he was the player of the series. I thought he bowled fantastically well mm. in, on, on tough decks for him in tough match Can conditions. Can I just give the figures to give context yeah, of how Jimmy Anderson went? Because he's such a divisive figure in Australia. But he did take 17 wickets, which is not a lot, but he went... At a run rate of just 2.11 per over, he took 17 wickets at 27.82. No other bowler got close to those figures. I mean, Broad's average was 48. 
right throughout the series, Anderson was competitive, but Broad, and, 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 Broad and, went and, missing. Yeah. And for, a, Broad? for a man, Anderson, who relies, you know, his stock and trade is swing, isn't it? I mean, that's and there's precious little about here, so he had to just do it through consistency and just, you know, smarts. And I, th- I thought he was fantastic. But you're absolutely right. Stuart Broad offered him nothing, and and the other bowlers uh, didn't really produce either. Obviously, so. Broad was kept too busy with his Tinder account. It's worth pointing out that Anderson's average was bumped up by bowling under lights in Adelaide. I think that is an asterisk. At the yeah, same but I time, just though, think all series he was hard I, to I think get he's away. won over. The following morning was when he did as much damage as he did under yeah. light. So, yeah. I think he's won over Australian fans with just because he put in, you know, and things weren't mm. going against him. And he wasn't getting much help. I think he's probably not as reviled as he once was or he's kind of, you know, won over Aussie fans, some Aussie fans anyway. And I guess my other big flop was Moeen Ali. He did very much publicised four from grace. He earned a reprieve for the fifth test, but such a wonderful cricketer. Mm. You know, if you've watched him play well, to see him play like this is quite disheartening because he's such a talented cricketer with bat and ball, and he looked completely missing. And, you know, some commentators were saying they just don't know whether he can guts it out on these bouncy wickets. So that's a real problem for England, and, you know, I would start to suggest that his place going forward will be in jeopardy. Yeah, it might be. I think it was a real crushing shame for the for the competition, obviously for England first, but for everyone, because you're right, man. This, the summer, or the, you know, the Northern Hemisphere summer just gone, he was electric. He's swinging the blade, these beautiful shots, and doing great stuff with the ball in hand as well. He had the uh, impediment of landing here with a slight injury, so he barely bowled in the warm-up game, so he was coming in wickets that don't really suit him and it just sort of spiralled down from him from there when it wasn't going for him he tried to hit his way out of trouble a couple of times he was shifted around in that middle order because of the Stokes factor and yeah it's a real shame because as well as being a fantastic cricket when he's playing really well he's like Osman Khawaja he's one of the nicest guys in the game as well he's a lovely bloke so it's a real shame but he had an absolute Stinker. Well, I've never heard someone speak quieter at a press conference as Mo and Ali did at the Gabba. It was, well, uh, and you guys you know, want a bag, by the uh, way? Uh, like, well, obviously, Ali's trade was made a lot harder by Stokes not being there. And I also, you know, we heard so much about his finger, but if he, if he was injured, why was he playing? And, and once you cross that white line, of course, you're going to be judged by your performances. Mm-hmm. Anyone you want to bag before we move on? I just don't want to be the only one. Um... Yeah, no. I'm, I'm, <laughs> whether whether <laughs> I should be bagging the player himself or, or probably more appropriate, the players, the, the people who picked him, is that James Vince, how we arrived in Australia with James Vince as our number three. He, he did In a very predictable series, he was the most reliable of uh, wicket, a tidy, beautiful 22, and then nicking off uh, and walking off the pitch. But, mate, you guys have had a tradition of having a bloke like that. And I, I don't know if Mark Rant or Crash was in that frame, but you've always had a, one or two blokes who always seem to do that, you know, through our childhood watching the ashes but i know what you mean he yeah he it was just that it was he so, could never so it was so consistent yeah, yeah. like you could almost set your watch by it you know what i mean um and like i say he shouldn't be in the team but it, it probably speaks more about england's batting depth but that was a real disappointment as well as and, and being predictable so are any aussie flops menace well not really i think everyone at, at times uh, contributed well, ba- bang, 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 bangcroft was obviously bangcroft yeah. was yeah. very disappointing and i don't think he should have been there to begin with yeah. all right so Let's uh, take a break now, and we'll come back with the week in cricket headlines. Now, we're going to head to the break with Jimmy Anderson talking after the SCG test. Joe Root wasn't able to do the press conferences because he was asleep in the dressing room. So uh, we'll leave you with Jimmy Anderson talking about some of the controversial moments that occurred during the series. And then we'll come back with Ricky Ponting talking after the MCC World Cricket Committee meeting at the SCG. There's always going to be a few talking points throughout an Ashes series because it's so high profile and, and both teams are desperate to win. That, that's just the nature of the, the series. Um, but I think in, on the whole it's been played in a, in a really good spirit. And yes, we will be going in their dressing room for a, for a beer after and chew the fat, and, which, is, which is always good. Obviously it's better when we win, but um, you know we've, we've just got to take that on the chin and yeah. Uh, we'd love to see the ICC get more involved in um, making sure those payments actually, well, the money actually goes where it should go to, to the, the players. Um, also talking about um, understanding that domestic T20 tournaments around the world are uh, giving players almost an easy out to not represent their country and are remunerated in a better way to play those domestic tournaments. So we're talking about making sure that the payments in some of the lesser paid sort of nations increase dramatically to try and ensure that they have the best players playing test cricket for the majority of the year and also 
um, you know, making them on longer term national contracts as well. So the, the temptation to go off and play these domestic one day, um, sorry, T20 tournaments around the world is, is therefore lessened. Um, you know, these countries that we're talking about, you know, it's, it's, it's vital for them to have some security down the, tr- you know, for the, the, back, the back part of their careers and the back part of their lives, I guess. So um, longer international contracts, um, make sure that those payments are a little bit closer to what they would be for an Australian player or an English player. Uh, and therefore lessen the op- the op- opportunity for those guys to leave and not want to represent their country. So, you know, Shakib spoke up pretty well about that coming from Bangladesh and, and talking about some of the issues and dramas that they've had over the years. But he also spoke about, you know, the ICC needing to take control of the way that where the money goes because they, he knows that a lot of the money is going to the right place, but it's not getting to the players the way that it probably should. So um, that was his major concern. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. It's Manners, Steve and Macca here. And let's go through all the cricket headlines. That was Ricky Ponting talking after the MCC Cricket Committee meeting. And I thought it was a really interesting point that he raised about, I guess, the funding that comes from the ICC to the smaller nations needs to go to the players in these and those smaller nations. So those players have an incentive to stay in test cricket and the national game before moving off into T20 competitions. And you know, Ricky Ponting gave the example of Shakib Al-Hassan, a Bangladesh player who it's financially much more better for him if he stops playing for Bangladesh. So what do you guys think about that? And obviously it's a really hard one to police. It is a tough one to police, but it's, it seems like an absolute, you know, straightforward, perfectly reasonable position to take. That that is, you know, an obvious solution to to a problem. I mean, we've even seen, you know, the West Indies being decimated by, you know, decent players of Test level going off and playing all around the world in in the domestic T Twenty competition. So it seems like a, a, a very reasonable and, and desirable thing to do. But like you say, how do they go about it? I don't know. Well, they're talking about trying to come up with a financial model. So if we, you know, give you a certain amount of money, a percentage of that has to be guaranteed for the players or you won't get it. A couple of other things they um, raised was that they want to make sure the weighting is right for the test championship. So, you know, if they can't fit in, like some series are going to be shorter than others in the cycle. How do you get that weighting right? Well, I mean, a sport that can come up with a Duckworth Lewis uh, rule should be able to manage the, the, the mathematics around that. the computers that, yeah. we've got today, yeah. surely it's not that hard, men, is to work this out. Oh, no, I just think they they have a concern that if they don't get it right, then the incentive will be to schedule maybe shorter series. You know what, you just go on with it and see how it goes, don't you? They've been talking about this for so long. They did say that when the cha- Test Championship starts, they need to have a more uniform DRS system internationally so that it's it's not different in different parts of the world and you see where the technology changes from country to country and you know, some don't have hotspot and some don't have snicko and so they want to make that uniform i think that's a good thing yes and uh, anything that can uh, stop people moaning about it and going on about the differences is a good thing yeah I had a great chat with those guys, Ponting, Gadding, and Sangakara. And next week, we'll, we'll get into what set Mike Gadding off on the BCCI. That was my question. So we'll get to that next week. But let's get to Australia's one-day squad. Glenn Maxwell is a topic for every podcast. <laughs> well, he hasn't been picked to replace Chris Lynn in Australia's one-day squad. Instead, Cameron White has been picked. Macca, do you want to lead this one off? Uh- Man, I just I still can't believe this. Obviously, this broke a few hours ago, and you texted me about it. I had no idea what you were talking about, so I got on the internet and had a look. I, I, I just can't work it out, mate. I, I mean, he's got to be – he's not walking Darren Lehman's dog or he's run over one of – He's not training smart yeah, I, enough? I, 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 what does I, that I, even I mean? I, yeah, I, it, it just seems so incredulous to me. I mean, he's obviously such a talented player. He's been – you know, pretty good for in the big bash from what I've seen. And White's days are gone. I mean, he's too. You can't tell me he's the future. I mean, surely Maxwell, get him in there and get him in the team. Give him a hug. Give him a bit of a kiss. Take him out for a lemonade, and everything will be good, won't it? I mean, this looked like a perfect opportunity. It, it you, is. You, you bagged him in public, so that's 
that's the sort of kick up the bum that he yeah, might have needed. Him and now you can build him up again. Well, now bring him back into the yep. side and see how he takes yep. it and give him and Smith time to go out for dinner and have a bit of a cuddle afterwards and all's forgiven. I just want to say something about Cameron White because he is very deserving of this call up. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you take just how well he's performed at domestic level for the, for the past few years in the 50 over domestic comp and the big bash. And Sheffield Shield, just on figures, he's very deserving. Again, though, where's the logic from the selectors? One minute they're saying they're building up to the World Cup next year. Last year they're picking players like Sam Heaslett because they want to blood them for the World Cup. A year later they're flip-flop again. So this well, is another well, Eddie, column for me. Eddie Cowan, you, selectors. <laughs> Eddie Cowan was put on the shelf at the start of the summer, wasn't he? Because he was quote-unquote too old. and They're the same age as White. Yeah. So it is. I think the Cowan and the Maxwell thing is something about personalities mm, rather than age or, so. or statistics or anything else. There's something going on there. I think the the, the, the Cameron White thing, it's it's got parallels with this kind of Tim Payne thing, I think, and, and even to a degree Sean Marsh, and maybe the, the selectors are emboldened by how well that went, you know, Picking someone a bit left field who's a little bit older who hasn't been around. But normally the they don't pick players that perform at domestic level. Normally they just pick them on a hunch or something. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't get this one. But look, the, the one-day series starts this weekend against England. England have a very competitive one-day side. Trevor Bayless has been given a lot of credit for turning around England's white ball fortune. So in the team, you've got Owen Morgan comes in as skipper, I think. Joe Root will be so happy to have a break from going out to toss the coin. Sam Billings, Joss Butler, Alex Hales, Adil Rashid, Mark Wood. So there is a host of exciting English players to come in. You put that against some of the players in the Aussie squad like Aaron Finch, Jai Richardson, Marcus Stoinis, who's had such a great year and such a, a, such a moving story if he can do well. I think we're in for a bit of a, a cracker of a one-day series, and I think the summer needs it. Yeah, I think I completely agree. I think it will be competitive. We'll have close finishes. We'll have big scores. Uh, and, yeah, England are a, a vastly better team. I mean, that's what Bayliss was brought in primarily to do. I mean, they didn't necessarily say that. Because uh, England uh, hosts the 50-over World Cup exactly. in 2019. And we've, and we've never won it, and we've got it at home, and we know all about home conditions being helpful, etc., and so on. So they got Bayliss in because of what he'd done uh, in the Big Bash and in the IPL. And, you know, credit to him. A lot of people bagging him at the moment for uh, a sort of stasis in the in the test team and not really going anywhere. But our one day, I mean, from the last time we played a, uh, a big tournament down here uh, when we got turfed by Bangladesh, then... Uh, Some of the best <laughs> memories I've ever had. <laughs> but that also, was when England hosted the last Cricket World Cup in that, that, 1999. That, what happened then? I mean, yeah. they didn't even make it out of the first <laughs> stage. And there was a four-stage tournament. Group course, stage, Super 6, semis final. And Australia ended up on so, top, yeah, of course. So, yeah, prospers to be a great series, mm. you know. Steve, what, can I just ask, Steve, I, I just, I'm just wondering, though, mate, if the, if England's ODI te- team has a bit of a T20 look at it. I, th- I think, for mine in the past, England have fallen into a trap of having these bits and pieces, players who can bat a bit and bowl a bit in the one-day games. I'm wondering if that might, they might fall into that trap again, you know. The, well, the kind of, with, with the England one-day team at the moment, it's very, very exciting because they either go out there and crush it all the way through or they go out there and absolutely fall in a heap and there's nothing in between because <laughs> the, the attitude... That That's, they, you can't, <laughs> win, a, you can't <laughs> win a tournament doing that. Yeah, you well, can't win the World Cup doing that. Yeah. And there's a lot of chatter back home about that, that very point that they go out there and they back themselves. You know, if a wicket drops, the next man in is looking for a boundary on that first ball, you know, and, and like you're absolutely right, there's a, there's a T20 idea about that, that you keep the momentum momentum going even if wickets are falling etc and we can bat a long way down I mean all the way you know they're virtually all rounders most of the bowlers um, you know even Mark Wood can can swing the willow um, so yeah it's it, it is a very front foot just start smashing it and see where you can go kind of attitude which is which is great for the spectacle but like you say yeah there are questions about whether you but get the last two years tournament. when England have been at home playing one day cricket it's been thrilling yeah as in neutral it's been thrilling uh, next bit of news Ricky Ponting has been appointed Australian assistant T20 coach for the upcoming Tri-Series in New Zealand versus New Zealand and England. Now, there were rumours floating around that he might be the next T20 coach for Australia. We might actually see a coach brought in to coach a particular format. I can't think of anyone more qualified to coach Australia's T20 side. Oh, absolutely! You want, I think, you want Ricky Ponting involved in as much as you possibly can, and and if the T20 team is where he's going to start, or even if that's the only thing he's going to do, you you let him in and you. 
give him whatever brief he wants because he knows cricket better than uh, better than most people on this planet. Yeah, and he's coaching uh, one of Sunrisers. No, I think he's coaching one of the IPL franchises this year, so he's going to get even more experience T Twenty cricket. Now, Matt, do you want to run us through your headline for today? <laughs> Allow me, man. It's obviously you know. There's a big story today about the Australian cricketers captured smoking during their Ashes celebrations. It's it's got a lot of a lot a lot of comment out there. Divided. You haven't read the comments on the article, divided opinion. Don't, uh, don't read them. Well, I think you know. Obviously, we got these photos in. Uh, you know, sort of early afternoon yesterday, the Aussie cricketers parting, and uh, you know, there there's two schools of thought on this, isn't there? That smoking's not illegal. They're just consenting adults doing what they want to do, and that that's fair enough. But then that these guys are public figures and they're smoking in a public place and they are role models. And the, and the more and more I talk to people about this issue, especially health professionals, the more and more I, I came to the conclusion that wasn't a good look for the game. It wasn't a good look for the players. And it's just a really, really silly thing to do. Of course, it's not the end of the world. But I think if my son looked up to these players like Sean Mars or Jackson Bird who were captured smoking and then took up smoking, I'd, I'd be absolutely livid. I'd be absolutely furious. And when you hear about smoking what it does and it's the leading cause of preventable death and disease in australia i just think it's time to give the put the fags away boys what about they're off the clock so this wasn't an official function they were just 10 blokes 12 blokes going out for a drink isn't there some sort of blurring of the lines there may be well i think that's what brings out the the this as a genuine talking point in you know sporting circles in societies and i mean they are public figures they're in public. It's not like they're being papped in, in private. Um, and I think that, you know, that they obviously make their living as public figures and I think they're entitled at, that, at the same time to be judged on that. Steve? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that, uh, uh, it, that they are off the clock where I'm doing it. It's not a good look and, you know, everyone knows that they shouldn't, they shouldn't be smoking but they're, you know, adults who can do it. And in terms of the sort of media spotlight flung on it, there is another argument that, that runs alongside that, that, you know, if, if it wasn't splashed on the front of the paper or, or on websites, then no one would have noticed them doing it and their bad role model uh, wouldn't have been projected anywhere near as much as if, you know, papers hadn't got involved. But that's, that's just... I, I guess that's the... I understand that argument, but it's a bit of an ignorance is bliss argument, isn't it? You can sort of say, well, if, you know, Watergate had never happened, we'd never know what a insidious individual you know, Nixon was, we, you know, current reference. We, well, just, you know, (laughs) you you know, you have to believe in the freedom of the press, of course. And I just think, you know, that you can't not report on something because of something like that. Did you have any doubts about writing the story? Well, you know, like I said, Menace, we got the picks and I was asked to write a story on it, to do some reporting on it, to make some calls. And I think, you know, it 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 was a balanced story. I called, you know, Cricket Australia for comment a couple of times and, you know, like if you read the story, the amount of health professionals are telling you how bad it is. And, and even social analysts just to say smoking's just in the past, you know, I mean, and you've obviously got the passive smoking problem these days. I mean, I, I, I hate it when I'm walking down the street and someone's smoking in front of me or I'm waiting, you know, at the bus stop or whatever. And, and it's not just annoying. It's bad. It's, it's, it's bad for you, you know. But there is one thing about it. If you hadn't run the stories, those photos would have cropped up somewhere. There would have been loads of people who took photos on their phones and, and you know, it would have been on social media anyway. So there's no hiding now. And unfortunately, I think if you're a professional team and you want to celebrate, hire a hotel room, hire a barman, lock yourself away from the world. And I think they do that in the Premier League in England now. The, all the players, they know how vulnerable they are. They just they do it in private. So unfortunately... That's the world we live in. All right, let's uh, wrap this podcast up with a Big Bash update. Well, the Big Bash is heading to the pointy end of the season, and there are really five teams vying for the top four. The Adelaide Strikers, the Perth Scorchers, the Melbourne Renegades, the Brisbane Heat, and the Hobart Hurricanes. They, they There's going to be five, four teams go through uh, so it's going to be tight tussle, I think, between those five teams. One of them is going to miss out. But the biggest talking point, and one of the biggest talking points to come out of the Big Bash in a long time, is what happened at the Gabba between the Hobart Hurricanes and the Brisbane Heat. Now, there were, Alex Ross was given out obstructing the field, and the Brisbane Heat, he's a Heat player, they went on to lose by three runs. So it was a very important decision, giving him out. After the 
the game. We saw George Bailey and Brendan McCullum, two universally loved captains, arguing about this concept. And McCullum thinks Bailey crossed the line of the spirit of cricket and should have withdrawn the appeal so that Ross wasn't given out obstructing the field. Uh, I, I have sympathy with both parties on this one. It's a very murky one. What are your initial thoughts? I, I think he shouldn't have been given out for the simple reason that you, you could see on the the pictures and when the replays went through that he was kind of he was trying to get out of the way, wasn't he? he was he, you could see where the ball was coming and he was just diving for the line as he was moving away. The laws of the games state that it's intentional that is is getting in the way. Obviously, it's only if you mean to do it. It is you know open to uh, opinion about whether or is he just being cute and doing whatever my personal take is that he was trying to get out the way and therefore shouldn't have been given out i also think it was a really great thing and a wonderful thing for the big bash and for you know accredits both the captains that they did come on onto the screen and, and you know, stood next to each other discussing the issue it was brilliant to see because like you say everyone or most people who are sort of right-minded respect both those players so to see them and they weren't being you know nasty with each other they were just arguing their case and i think it was really great so you could form your own opinion from that and apparently my- went on though mm. for a lot longer like i think the mccullum wanted bailey to admit that he was wrong well what I do you like, think, Macca? Man, so I like McCullum. Obviously, like the way he bats, and uh, and I think he's a good commentator. But obviously, there's a bit of history if we go back a bit, because when Smith was called out, Steve Smith was similar, you know, for not respecting the laws of cricket in the one days against England a year or two ago. McCullum wrote a Stokes. yeah, McCullum wrote a newspaper article slamming Smith, and then something similar happened in New Zealand, and McCullum was accused of not respecting the laws of cricket or the spirit of the game, if I'm correct. So I, I'm. I'm not so sure. And, you know, I think they did tinker with this rule a little bit, the ICC, a year or two ago, didn't they? Yes, yeah, so I think the intention's been taken out now. Oh, and really? There's just oh, a, right. um, an, there's new, a new playing condition, not yeah. a law, that if you change direction. All right, well, so, I'm, uh, I'm behind the... Well, I'm that, behind that, the menace, that was always my problem with it, because I don't know, I couldn't understand why they changed it. There was no call for it. All of a sudden, the ICC had tinkered with it. They'd made this change. And I think that becomes the problem, that umpires it's a new rule perhaps not everybody understand it so they get a bit edgy they get a bit nervy and they think well i've got to give this out i think in the end i think despite probably the decision being correct by the letter of the law if it had been given not out would probably no one would be sort of losing sleep over well well, cricket cricket australia's backed the ruling today haven't they? yeah you know but if by the rules it was out if ross had just run straight on his line no problems all right, next question about the Big Bash. The crowds are, are a bit of a decline this year. And I guess my question, I'll start with you, Macca. Is this a trend or are they just kind of plateauing? We saw like a, a peak two years ago and now they're just sort of smoothing out now to what's a, a more sustainable level. Well, man, I think there's a, there's a couple of uh, elements here. I, I, you know, we've spoken about this. They're, they're, what, a few seasons ago, they're big, big, big. The, you know, the crown jewel was the Melbourne Derby on New Year's Day, if I remember correctly, when they just got an absolutely thumping crowd at the MCG, and now they don't have that as an annual fixture. And that was a real focal point of the big bash. And so they've moved the scheduling around when I think they had it right. And I think also the, the BBL has reached the stage now at this time of the season when, you know, and I get this same with the IPL, that it, it's been going on a while. I love it, but it does tend to get a little fatigued for the viewer and there's a there's a gap to the finals so i think they can lose a bit of that interest but i, I don't think they're necess- i think they're just i think the interest like, is so still there yeah yeah I just, tv figures are great and yeah the, young, the, the figures out from the young audience is still growing and I, I wonder if there's any impact i mean i don't know it's just it's sort of anecdotal but you know the ashes had the biggest uh, record attendance you know the second most attended game. whether people who i know that the, the sometimes draws on different people but if you love your cricket and you've had to shell out hundred dollars to take your kids to day four at the SEG have you got money left to go and watch the Sixers twice where like you did last year I don't know maybe and and I think you mentioned that the the big sides are struggling and well that's what I think hasn't helped in any in any sporting tournament and the Sydney Thunder and the Sydney Sixers have have not got off to great starts so you wouldn't want to go and see them play at the moment. I think my take from this is they've added more games, so that obviously spreads out the crowds a bit. But also, I think this competition has lacked star power. You know, I think the Sydney Sixers had a very poor playing roster. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's terrible. It lacked imagination from the beginning. and, And I think 
across the, the whole comp, it could probably do with six to eight more high-profile players because what happened is now some players have gone off to play for Australia, some have gone off to play for England, and some are injured. So you sort of you, you don't have Chris Lynn playing. You don't have the stars always in action. And then if you do have a, a smattering of stars, if they have a quiet game, then there's no one else to sort of fill the gap. So I think they should look at next year trying to bring in more star power. You know, if every team had another overseas pro, it might just give more talking points, more, you know, of those big moments. Well, I think it, it, the BBL has risked, and I think this has happened come on more quickly than I thought it was. It's become something of a retirement league. I mean, you look at KP, you look at Mitchell Johnson, you look at um, Brad Hogg and, and Shane Watson. They're obviously... Brad Hodge. And yeah, Hodge as well. And they're, they're players who obviously retired uh, uh, for all intents and purposes as, as serious cricketers. And they're this, really the stars of the BBL. And I think it's got that sort of that, like I said, that retirement aspect that these guys are, you know, they're good on them. They're still fantastic cricketers, but it's not, it's not the, it's well, you contrast that with Rashid Khan, who's in the peak of his powers mm. playing for the strikers. He's, he's dazzling. We need more players like that. Well, well we, we like, I think it's going to have to get to a situation like the IPL when, and I don't know exactly how you do it right here and now, but when you're going to have to have Steve Smith playing, you're going to have to have Usman Khawaja playing for the majority of the tournament, if not the whole of the tournament. Or some. Warner, that comes, yeah, yeah. They've got to be there because these are the stars and they're going to pull people through the gates and even have higher TV ratings. Well, I agree, but the, the tournament now, is it is good that we've got five teams in the mix for the top four. So it should have an exciting conclusion. Well, I guess we're running out of time on today's podcast, guys. We've covered the tests, all the headlines, and the big bash. And now the big news, listeners. This is Steve's last <laughs> podcast. He's done everything I asked of him. He hung around for the Ashes. He was my punching bag for five test matches. And I just want to ask you, Steve, have I forced you out? Well, that's it. I mean, the, the rumours are going around the office that, uh, yeah, uh, six weeks of Ashes humiliation uh, is six why... Six weeks of men is more like Yeah, man is humiliation is why I'm leaving. But I'll tell you, I, I, I got inured to that level of humiliation in my teens and early 20s, <laughs> <laughs> seeing Australia beat the English teams in my youth. So that wasn't the problem. Now it's... Uh, well, uh, will I, you keep listening? I'll keep listening. And, you know, if... if if I pass cross again and you want to invite me back on down the track, I, I, I'll never say never. Well, I think he's the latest member on the band list, though, isn't he, Menas? And that's a growing list, a very exclusive, re- reputable list. Um, all right, listeners, so let's leave it there. Macca, thanks for coming in. Um, a pleasure. Thanks for having me, mate. You've got your bodyguards to get you out the front door. <laughs> I'll be right, mate. I can look after myself. Thank you. A few snipers from Cricket Australia. Listeners, thanks so much for downloading the show. Uh, we're going to be back next week, hoping to have a uh, big guest on. And we're going to, we're also going to sort through more of that MCC World Cricket Committee stuff. So I know some of you will be very excited by that prospect. Steve Macker, thanks for coming in. And we'll be back next week.